the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. To have faith in God is not a stagnant state. It's a journey. As believers, we should grow in our knowledge of God and His Word. Walk with Alan Cutting and many other believers as we walk the believer's journey. Well, aloha, and thank you again for joining us at the Believer's Journey I want to thank all of our uh, sponsors, uh, Guerrero CPA, Guerrero Law, Tracio Displays, Allison and uh, Thompson Insurance. And I want to thank everybody who supports us in all the different ways, whether it be financially, whether it be because you watch our program, you share our program, you pray for us. We're just really grateful for all you do, and we wouldn't be here without you. Uh, I want to thank everyone for um, just supporting, again, the ministries that we have advertised on our, our website, whether in Moldova or in Pakistan. And I'm sure it, it's been a real blessing to them. And um, today uh, I got um, my guest. His name is Daryl Lyons, and he is a co-founder and CEO of PAX Financial. And so and today our topic is going to be honoring God with our finances. So good morning. Yeah, good morning. Thank you for having me. So um, I want you to go ahead and talk to us about yourself because you have more of a um, resume here, if I will, about other than just PAX Financial. Cause I, uh, and then get into that as well as what, what you do with PAX Financial. Yeah, you know, somebody gave me advice a long time ago um, that – you know, if you want to get ahead in life, you need to get in over your head. <laughs> and so I've gotten in over my head a lot. And um, it's turned out that God's um, really orchestrated a unique um, path for me in various um, opportunities and meeting new people and doing new things. So it's been really cool. But yeah, me and some guys, we co-founded PAX Financial Group. In fact, one of them was Andres Gutierrez. We oh, talked really? about him. Yeah, him and I and another guy, Joseph Schutze. So the three of us, we um, ventured out years ago to, to start a company. We really wanted to come out of um, the traditional uh, financial institutions that manufacture products and we wanted to be independent and we we really had a blessing it was just unbelievable even to think about it this day this was right kind of when Dave Ramsey was getting some traction and so Dave Ramsey gave us a, a really nice endorsement early in his um, his empire so to speak and so we were for the San Antonio region up to Fredericksburg down to Kennedy Carn City and Seguin and Casterville we were Dave Ramsey's guys, like we were his guys. So that was a nice tailwind for growth for PAX. Um, it was exhausting. There'd be days and it wasn't uncommon where I'd have five or six meetings a day. And, um, and, and so that was great. You know, that was a great relationship. I was on his advisory council for a while and, and really think, I think highly of Dave and Andres has since moved on, um, very amicably, right. but he has his own, uh, he's a dear friend of mine, but yeah. he has his own platform oh, now. I, I love Andres. I think he's an amazing guy. He was actually on my program, the second pro, our second show. Well, if your listeners haven't heard him, they need to go back and hear oh, him. He's I know. great. He's, he is good. Yeah. He um, he had me come to his studio, and, oh, yeah. and it was really kind of neat because I got to do a 
a slide, you know, show on the side where I show my little circle. And, oh, and cool. uh, we talked about finances and stewardship. Yeah. And so, so he has his focus on, not, I'm sorry, not finance and stewardship, but just stewardship, Christian stewardship. His idea of stewardship was all focused on finances. Yeah, yeah. Well, mine is focused on every area of your life, whether it be in your family, whether it be in your home, your yeah. church, your yeah. prayer life, everything you do, what you eat, all of that is all part of stewardship, including yeah. finances. And he was, he, he said something on that program. He says, Wow, this is new stuff. I'm going to add this to my program. I never had heard this before. <laughs> he's so humble that way. He'll pick he up is. nuggets. He's, he's he doesn't you know say okay this is all my original content. I won't take from anybody else. He's yeah. great that way. And uh, yeah, I'll have to I'll have to um, tell him that we connected um, yeah. because I talk to him all the time. In fact, for all of those of you who are watching now, if you haven't seen that program, it is the second one we ever did. Wow! And uh, you need to go back and watch it. It is really. One of my favorite programs. Yeah. It was before we got onto YouTube and we were just starting. I mean, just starting. And it was just kind of amazing. Well, you know, I've, I've launched several books. Um, and when I, when I went on his podcast radio show to promote, I think it was like my second or third book, um, I actually watched the volume of my book sales go up. Really? Um, because his audience, even, may, even though it may not be um, like a, he might not have a household name in the States, but when it comes to you know the, those that primarily speak Spanish, he's a superstar. Well, he's all over yeah. North and South America. Yeah, I mean, he's everywhere. I mean, yeah. when you have a thousand a day watching you, oh yeah, it's, yeah. it's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. El Machete. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm proud yeah. of him. So, yeah, he was the when we were um, there was this other pastor and his wife has have his church and and so both Andres and I were on the board. Yeah, of cool. the Spanish speaking church. Well, so yeah, him and I started PAX and. Uh, one other Joseph Schutze, so the three of us started. Yeah. Cool. So, so what is the? Um, I know you guys have a mission. You have a um, kind of a what you're looking at when you want to yeah. work with this with people. Tell us what it is. Yeah, it's a little different, and and one of the things that really started to tug at our heart, especially with the polarization of America in general, um, I, I just started becoming more and more convicted with. Um, integrating my faith into my services. Now, I've always had a faith way of uh, running a business, and I, a lot of that is supported by the the, um, the, the group C12, uh, the National mm -hmm. Christian Organization. We've been a part of that for a long time. But in terms of just the, the services that we offer, the investment services and the financial advice, really haven't dug into how do I integrate my faith into that. And so there's a couple inflection points along the journey that I, I began to really buy into that. So now we're doing a lot more in that space, specifically called biblical responsible investing, where we um, utilize managers who will screen out investments that um, that are antithetical to a biblical worldview. Mm -hmm. And we've seen these companies and over the last several years, you know, Target's a good example, Anheuser-Busch, and some of the things that they've done. Um, you know, we, we utilize organizations that help screen out uh, those companies and I think people are just tired of being an owner of a company that's doing things that are undermining a, a Christian worldview. You know, it's interesting. Um, all my life, I've been in ministry, and I've had sometimes some jobs where, I, if I'm in um, Hawaii, for example, and and you know churches don't pay anything, or they pay you 
just enough to eat, but not enough to pay rent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really hard in Hawaii. I mean, your average church there is like 30 years. I've day. never heard anyone say it's really hard in Hawaii. It is. Financially. <laughs> financially. Financially, yeah. And not only ministry is not that easy in Hawaii. I mean, yeah. you figure all the people in Hawaii, only about 10% of the whole population of Hawaii probably attend a church. So a lot of people have church services in their own garage and you'll oh. see you'll drive by and you'll Sunday mornings you might oh, see yeah. 10 chairs or 20 chairs in their garage yeah. Yeah. and a lot of them have that so a lot of churches are smaller yeah and so it's harder so as an associate pastor um you know i know the pastor that i worked for you know he had a side job as well as an income from the church and it wasn't a side job it was like he had done a network marketing i think is okay what he did. yeah and where i worked at another place as well and i taught at a school yeah wow. so it brought in income that way and then my wife also had her job so basically it was really difficult but when you when we had stuff to do when i lived on maui we literally i, I worked at this one church and there was, we were starting a church, what we call upcountry in Pukalani, Maui. And, um, but that pastor didn't have a place to live. And we really didn't have a place to meet. So it was, it was really difficult. So we, they met at a school and yeah. in different places. So we were able to raise somehow, I don't remember how, but we raised enough money to um, build two houses. And these will be wow. for the pastors of the two churches. Wow. And they came in these big crates or you know, but sit like a on, mobile home. Well, you know, yeah. kind of, but it really wasn't. It was actually lumber and yeah. everything. Yeah. But it came in into these things where you got eighteen wheelers carry, whatever yeah. they're called. And so they were sat there, but we couldn't do it. We we had no way to build a house. And so there's two of them there. So we uh tried to get people. So people finally came from the mainland and and work mission work. And we we got contractors and plumbers and things like carpenters and plumbers and electricians to come out. And we have actually, and a lot of people who weren't anything, yeah. to just build these houses. So we built two parsonages there. And it was really kind of cool. But it's not that easy. You know, even though it's kind of nice to go to Hawaii, but a lot of the work that they came over to do, they did a lot of work. And then we tried to give them fun as well. Yeah. Here's the beach. But... You know, you go there to work just like if you were to go to Uganda or At anywhere else. At the end of the else. day, it is work, right? It is. Yeah. And um, and it is a mission field in Hawaii. I can imagine, and I've heard that you know, a lot, yeah. Yeah. So, but you were talking about teaching. I, I When I go to Moldova, um, there's a um, particular missionary there, and he, he moved over from crew over to this other yeah. mission yeah. work. And I don't know the name, but they focal, focus on... Um, finances and stuff like that yeah. he had contacted me one time knowing that i was coming out to uh, moldova and he says to me um i want you to teach my students you know he, he teaches business at this high school i want you to teach my students about you know business and how you're you're successful in your business because my wife and i susan and i yeah. we took over bought a business from her father and we changed it and built it and i knew nothing about business so all i know is biblical principles being, yeah. being a pastor and a bible teacher that's what i i looked at and i said to susan you know we need to build this on biblical principles because i believe if we do that god will bless our business yes so i told this missionary that same thing is all i can tell you is that god blessed our business because of our faithfulness to him 
and the fact that we would honor him and everything and build us on biblical principles. And that's how we became, you know, more successful. And he says, that's what I want you to teach. Really? That, yeah. <laughs> so when I go over there, that's exactly what I teach. I mean, your decisions are important to make that, that honor God. Well, Moldova is a, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, my interest in that community. It's a, it's, it's fertile ground. Obviously, there's challenges with the, um, you know, the religion that's been prevalent there, whether it's, yeah. you know, the Orthodox religion. But generally speaking, it's fertile ground. And um, I think there's been a lot of people praying over that region for a long time. Well, you know, um, of course, I try to go every year. We don't make it every year. Yeah. But um, so our plans this year, we're going to be there in October, mm-hmm. November area time. And uh, and we're going to add Slovenia to our oh, yeah. trip. We're going to spend a week there and, and minister. But anyway, in Moldova, because it's such a poor area, mm-hmm. uh, if you've not been there. I've been there several okay. times, yeah. So it's interesting what the city is like opposed to what the towns are like opposed to what the villages are like. Yeah. Yeah. And the villages, I mean, they're they're just dirt and mud. Yeah, there's know. no social safety net, you know, versus the United States that you you know we have social security, we've got Medicaid, that just doesn't exist there. Well, they are social, they are a socialist country, and they, you do get an income when you when you retire, and you do have socialized medicine, but the taxes they take out through that. Oh my gosh, it's yes. terrible. Yes. It is awful, yes. yeah. and uh, but but yeah, what you live on. If you haven't built a safety net. That's a good point because really it's just the amount that you get versus. Yeah. Now, to your point, the social uh, the social system at first glance, it seems very attractive. But then it does shift a lot of the control to the government. And, yeah. and then they're, you know, they're dictating what you do and not well, do. Well, that's true. What I do in what I've because one of the things I do is teach the missionaries there, teach the ministers. Mm. And one of the things that I, I've taught a couple few times when I've been over there is about having them put aside either an income or some kind of uh, oh, please do. way yeah. to retire. For sure. And so I teach, I says, you know, you give 10% to the Lord for a tithe. You need to take another 10% and put it aside for your... Oh, 100 your, yeah. your, You're absolutely right. This is this is something that, that all of us have to hear. And, um, it, you know, I'm a nerd a little bit in this space, and the, the Financial Planning Association does a lot of research in this space, and it's been... You know, there's a lot of studies, but 16.67 is the actual number of what you need to be saving for a rainy day. And, you know, we, we, it's not this is not not scriptural, like saving for the future. You know, it does talk about in James to not hoard in the last day. So there's some. Right. But at the same time, there's there's plenty of um, uh, scriptures that talk about saving. And I can think of um, Joshua is one of them. But um, regardless, I would suggest that. Um, that everyone save sixteen point six seven is nice, but usually when I've done the when I've done my digging, it's fifteen percent, mm-hmm. and I love the fifteen percent number. And I and I I would say it with conviction that everyone needs to do it. And and, and there's there's a couple reasons why. One of which is um, I don't necessarily think that retirement's something that is biblical. You know, we hear a little bit about the Levites, but, but really, uh, but the reality is we're living longer Mm -hmm. and there's a certain point in life that your body and your mind might not allow you to work anymore. And so what, this is real life experience, me working with people day to day. I'm actually in a lot of cases, um, helping people save money. They fall short. They, they made poor decisions. They didn't exercise that discipline. And here's the worst consequences of it all. And this happens 
way more than I'd like to to uh, say. The husband passes away uh, younger than he expected. The widow is left with nothing. I say nothing, but widows, it's hard to get a job. You know, it's hard to, uh, to you know, you can't go and do you know manual labor and not everyone wants to hire somebody that doesn't know these computer skills. And so I'm actually a lot of times trying to help the widow because they can live 10, 15, 20 years. And if that money's not there, they're, it's a difficult, it's a difficult life. Um, so that 15% number is very important. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I would say, and I'm just going to put my two cents in here, and I don't know, I'm not an expert in this, but I would say in the United States, that's probably pretty plausible. However, when you go to places like Moldova, yeah. it, it may not be feasible at all. I know this one missionary that I talked to about uh, having retirement. Um, I said, you know, the thing is, is that when you get to a point where you can't do this, you know, and you need something. So what he did was he took money and bought, you know, land mm-hmm. and he bought all these little tiny uh, walnut sticks, <laughs> trees, but they look yeah. like sticks. And he planted them throughout this whole field. Now he's got walnut trees. Oh, that's so cool. So now that he starts producing walnuts, so he'll be able to sell them, so smart, and that'll yeah. be his retirement. You so know, smart, yeah. and even now, as he's producing walnuts, he's able to give to family and give to people, so and, and yeah. yeah. So, so I really think that um, in all of this, it, it is important. But in areas that it's really hard to, like we have a big congregation now watching our program from Pakistan. Yeah, and, and they're just barely getting alive, just I getting know. by eating. Yeah, yeah and you're 100 percent right. Yeah. It is a it is a, a mainly an American topic because, in fact, when we're talking about Andres, we wrestle with these topics. And he what he's good about because he's originally from Mexico is he's able to talk to people who have just a different cultural perspective and uh, meet them where they're at. And so, yeah, there's definitely some disconnects that I would have from different cultures on how to save and how much to save. What, yeah. what I can speak to is in America, we do fall short. And then um, where to save it, we tend to. Um, and I understand the skepticism that comes with this kind of mysterious stock market, but the stock market is just generally, generally speaking, you're buying um, companies. And um, I've had a great experience, um, and many of my clients have, many clients in general have good experience just being disciplined and letting the market just grow, and eventually the wealth just kind of compounds. That whole idea of compound interest is actually pretty legit. Yeah, that, that's, you know, when I talk to my wife, she has a hard time with that. She doesn't comprehend how, you know, X amount of dollars in 5, 10 years or so will become, you know, 15, 20 times more. It's unbelievable. You know, and she's I can't fathom that. I can't picture that. And I said, well, that's what compound interest does. Um, and it's funny because she's big about stock market. I'm not. You know, I see the stock market go up and it go down and it crash. It does this and that. And yeah. so what we did was we just separated what we we uh, would in, put into what we are retirement. Yeah. And she put things into IRAs and this and I put things more into gold and stuff. Yeah. And um, and her money basically a little more than doubled and mine, you know, quadrupled. Wow. Because gold back, you know, 15 years, 10 years ago, it's, it was like more less than half, like 800. And now it's over 2000. Same thing with silver. It was. Yeah. It's just. Well, that's interesting. There could be a timing associated with it, or something, because the research shows that the stock market has considerably outperformed gold over that, over any given time period. There's been a. There was a ten-year period where 
uh, 2000 to 2010 that I think if you look at the research, gold did have outperformance, but that was a that was a really particular difficult time frame for the market in general. That was the um, you know we had we were right on the dot com bubble burst, and we had a you know 2008 that big crash. So that 2000 to 2010. I think that was a period gold had outperformed. Generally speaking, though, uh, you, your situ- your experience is definitely different. Um, generally speaking, this, there, when it comes to investing, um, the stock market, and of course you could say I'm biased, but I actually, as an advisor, I have access to gold, cryptocurrency, real estate, alternatives, private hedge funds, private equities, like all kinds of stuff. But the data just keeps coming out true. And why does it come out true? Because when you buy a company that is Microsoft or Amazon, they're led by an organization that is incentivized to produce a product that consumers continue to buy, whether it's cell phones or cars or toilet paper or toothpaste. And these, they're very intelligent people driving forward this uh, idea uh, and, and selling these products. And by being an owner of those companies, you get to participate in that growth. So the system in general is set up the probabilities of success in the stock market historically are 70 70% of the time it goes up. So it's not like uh, gambling. It's gambling the risk are against you. In the markets, it's actually for you. But the problem is it just has this nebulous, mysterious kind of, uh, I don't know, it's kind of a weird like idea behind it that it's, it's, um, it's rigged. But here's, here, this is a real problem. That pervasive thought is more prevalent in the Christian community than outside the Christian community, which is actually problematic to a certain degree because those that are not so cynical against the stock market are actually making money and building wealth, whereas Christians are putting it in their mattress, not starting businesses, and not getting the wealth and we're waking up one day and saying, why are Christians not running major organizations? Why haven't they built wealth? Because this fear that is, is pervasive, almost in the Christian culture, like a just general, Hey, it's, I mean, you look at any radio station and in any, like they're all sponsored by gold sponsors. Like Mm -hmm. there is a reason that the Christian community has this pervasive fear. It's, it's, it's constant. I have to talk through this all the time because he didn't give us a spirit of fear, nor of timidity, mm-hmm. but a boldness and sound mind. So when we stop, we set the fear aside and we think about it and do the analysis, do the research and say, okay, I need to save money. I need to believe that the future is bright. And if the rapture comes, the rapture comes. But if I, but if I invest wisely, eventually that compounding works. It's yeah. a long, long sermons, but yeah. No, that, and that's really important because I think that and it's not just the idea of fear only. It's also mistrust, mistrust of uh, the government. That's right. Yeah. Mistrust of uh, financial institutions, the Wall Street itself. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of mistrust there, and, uh, and I'm not sure it's only that's only in in the Christian community. But I don't, I don't, I don't see that only in the United States. I see that abroad as well. It is. It's just you know I've over the years I and, and we know the, some of these talk show hosts that that target the Christian community. They, there is a there is a pervasive fear in the Christian community of mm-hmm. these systems and institutions, and I get it. Um, but it's it's. I think we've got to start using our smart mind here and say, what, is this fear rooted in truth? Um, and and I'm seeing. I actually see a lot of Christians lose out. I mean, I've done this since 1999. 
um, put their money under, under their mattress and then come 10 years later and said, you know, I was going to buy, you know, I put it under my mattress or I bought some Iraqi, you know, currency or, and, and I'm like, all my, all the secular clients are getting wealthy and my Christians aren't because they're listening to a talk show host that, that scared them half to death. Yeah. That, that, that's silliness. And so if we use our sound mind, look at the data, look at the research save diligently, save it in the right place. I think that's wisdom. I think there's wisdom in that. There's a company that I've followed and I've uh, actually, um, I've now looked at in, in such a way that I've invested with them. And they, what they do is they literally have on their website videos that educate people who invest or to invest mm-hmm. and leave their money uh, so so that they, as they um or trading or whatever, it's building. Mm. And they do give a percentage. I think it's like, you know, between 3 to 6 to 8%. I have 8% compounded every month. So, you know, and the difference between 8% and 6%. Huge. Let's say in let's say $10,000 within five years is the difference between 330000 opposed to $1 million. Oh, it's unbelievable. That compounding, to your point, is amazing. I, you know... I guess the shameless plug, but I, my book, Biblical Responsible Investing, just launched yesterday. In that book, I do discuss the idea behind um, not only investing in the in utilizing the markets, um, thinking about how you can screen out companies that are behaving antithetical to biblical worldview, but at the same time putting the radar screens or the radar up on con artists because um, the con artists in the Christian community and the body of Christ have come out uh, like never before. So um, there's really three layers of cons in this, in this uh, world we live in. First of all, we know the basic uh, ID theft issues that exist. We've all been either know somebody or somebody's, you know, hacked into us and stolen a credit card or done something. That's kind of level one. That exists. Level two is, um, it's this is scary, but this is the artificial intelligence piece where somebody calls you up and says, um, uh, Alan, I can't, um, I'm, I'm, I'm in Moldova and they've got me in jail. And it's their voice saying, can you give me $10,000 so I can get out of jail? And it's their voice. Mm-hmm. That's artificial intelligence. And you wire $10,000. That's coming our way to the body of Christ. And I say the body of Christ because we're trusting. And the Christian community owns 55% of the world's wealth. So they asked a bank robber, um, Willie Sutton, years ago, why do you rob banks? And he said, that that's be- it's because where the money's at. And so the, the third level I would be, this is the one that we've got to be watch, watch out for in the body of Christ. That's why I, I want in the body of Christ, we don't have to swing for the fences. You know, just it's a steady saving. Just you don't have to be make it complicated. Um, but there's there's con artists in the body of Christ. You know, there's not uncommon. I've seen people in Bible studies um, swindle my, my brothers and sister in Christ. They they put them in investments and then run. Mm. That is not uncommon. And so you've got to just be aware of the wolves in sheep's clothing. They're very slick. You've got to even be skeptical of me. Um, I I always have to make sure that people just don't just blindly trust me. Make sure you check. But but I think the body of Christ has to be aware. So it's kind of this. It's kind of this, um, it's a really interesting place for us to take inventory in the word of God because there's over 2,000 scriptures about money, right? So there's a lot of wisdom there to your point. We not only have to uh, ask ourselves, are we investing in the right place? 
Are we investing because our, is our investing strategy rooted in fear? I hope it's not. I hope it's rooted in optimism because I've never met a successful pessimist. Rooted in optimism. <laughs> at the same time, ensuring that who we're doing business with is a person of integrity and being very skeptical along the way because we have got a the body price has a big target on our backs right now. Mm. You know, it's interesting. Um, when I was I was in my twenties, I was in San Diego going to Point Loma University. Yeah. And uh, there was a guy that came to our church and he was a I guess uh, all it was all about give even if you don't have it and trust God will replace kind of thing it's a prosperity today we have a name yeah. for it now yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. it's that prosperity thing you know give 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 and God trust trust God will you know give back to you and you replace it and you'll make more and you'll be okay yeah. and all these guys preaching it are very wealthy and all these guys giving it are very poor and they've yeah. been taken yeah. you know and I saw this one guy he literally came out and he said if you don't have the money in your bank go ahead and write me a check you know and, and trust that God will put it back I mean, this is how bad it was. It's out there, man. It is out there, and, and it's in our very leadership in the church. And that, yeah, you're right. We've got to be careful and and look and make sure that you seek out that person and make sure that who they are is legitimate. It's a tricky one. Um, there's a lot of different ways to think through this um, and and be wise. Of course, there's wisdom in the council with advisors. Um, I think one of it is just taking a litmus test and not making investment decisions rooted in fear. That's one that almost always burns you because the, the, a lot of the con artists like to say that here, I'm going to, here's a safe investment or, you know, here's something that's, you know, low risk. You know, that's going to be a first, like, you're like, uh Oh, that's probably not something. But, um, you know, when I, when I think about it, I, I like to hunt. So I, you know, you know, I'm from, from Texas, I'm pure Texan. So I'll go in, um, uh, whitetail or axis or hog or whatever. And, and I got this little, uh, scope that has a red light on it. You know, one of those red dots. And I don't even know why I got it. It was just kind of cool. Um, in fact, I, I play with my cat more than I actually use it. <laughs> my cat chases it. And, um, but when I think about Christians, I think like they've got a red dot on them right now. Mm-hmm. And, and you, so put this together, not only do we have the ID theft, but we've got artificial intelligence and we've got a susceptible group of people that have that are have genuinely have this to your point skepticism about the man the system that and so they find other avenues to invest and and they get burned and i've seen it over i've seen millions of dollars be swindled by my brothers and sisters in christ in the community over the years yeah yeah, yeah it is it's a really um hard thing so tell me so pax financial what is when you uh, reach out to people or people see you? What is it that you want them to see, and what is it you portray to help people in their? Yeah, good question. So, what we like to say is we're fiduciaries. Um, fiduciary means that legally we're um, obligated to look out for your best interest above ours. Um, that could still be, you know, you know, nebulous to a certain degree, but but we really are fiduciaries. We're registered with the SEC. Um, we're, but we're fiduciaries who honor Judeo-Christian values. And so that's an important element because um, what I'm identifying is, is the financial marketplace has, um, in a lot of ways, un, you know, neglected the Christian community. I was, I was on an advisory council for one of the biggest Wall Street firms in the, in the world. 
And I was trying, I was sitting down just kneecap to kneecap with executives trying to make a case that I need them to, to start rethinking about their, in, their financial products so that the Christian community can embrace the company. They're, we can bridge this divide of mistrust. And it, it fell on deaf ears. The Wall Street company's like, we're not going to customize the way we do things for Christians. Well, the, what we do at PAX is we list in the body of Christ and we think about our advice rooted in the word of God. And so we want to honor those that have deeply held convictions and uh, in, in, and so a lot of that is manifested in actually financial decisions. For example, giving. Somebody comes to us and says, we give, you know, we, we tithe. You, you may go to another firm and they say, well, why would you give money away? You know, that's going to be easy for us to accept. But we take it one step further and then we say, well, how can we tithe in such a way that actually reduces your taxable income? Well, there's strategies there. Mm-hmm. So we're fiduciaries who honor Judeo-Christian values, and that's, that's our calling. Okay. So a long answer to short question. Yeah, no, that's good. So basically, if you're interested in in knowing more about Pax Financial, um, your website there's a, there's several different ways. So paxfinancialgroup.com is okay. one. P A X, and you'll yeah. see that on our screen. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, Pax Financial Group. Um, we have 25 employees. You can also, you know, my podcast is Retire in Texas, but if you're international, that might not resonate with you. But Retire in Texas is a, like, I just want to kind of get to know them a little bit more. Um, the books, you know, that I talked about. And then LinkedIn, um, that's kind of an avenue where people can digest content. I don't do, I don't do like the Instagram or anything. I just, LinkedIn's kind of a business professional platform. So those, I'd say those are the four avenues to kind of, uh, get to know us because the economy today is called a no like trust economy. People want to know you, they want to like you, and then they'll trust you. Uh, and mm-hmm. so, you know, to get to know us, we've created ways to do that. Yeah. And, and what I've done is on our website, thebelieversjourney.net, you go to the guest page, um, you, you can see their, your logo at the very yeah. bottom, and yeah. you can click on that. It goes right to their website. I also have your, your phone number there, and I have your LinkedIn yeah. Okay. Uh, good. Right on there. I yeah. figured that was a good little area when I looked it's at great. it. It's great, and I, you know, people can just follow and see the content. And, so yeah. you mentioned real quickly um, yeah. as we wind this up. You mentioned that uh, your Texas and so forth. Do you do you have the capability to work with people who are in California, Hawaii, Virginia, and yeah. so forth? No, we have clients all over the world, frankly, because okay. uh, we're a military city. So we've been. Working with people, um, I always say we'd like to work with people kneecap to kneecap, but if we need to, need to do keyboard to keyboard, we can do that too, and Zoom works real well. So if I'm a missionary in Moldova, for example, yeah. can you help me? Yeah, you know, there's re- residency matters. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, usually your residency is still in the United States, so that works real well. But if you're a citizen in Moldova, it's a little trickier. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, we've got clients that have been missionaries overseas and stationed overseas, so... Okay. Be happy to help. Okay. Well, yeah, actually, when I'm going to, my, Susan and I are going to Slovenia for the first time. You mentioned that. I, yeah, for that a sounds week. fun. We'll be teaching over there. And um, the missionary that we know really well is actually from Moldova, but she married a guy from, it was, I think he's from Ohio. So he's in Slovenia, they're in Slovenia, so he's actually a U.S. citizen, but she's a Moldovan citizen working in Slovenia. Wow. So Well, that's going to be a great trip. I That's uh, a country I want to go to. I haven't been. And I have four kids, so it's hard for me to travel too much. But uh, I'll get to go. I'll, I'll try to go to Moldova uh, here this year if I can. Fingers crossed. The calendar permits. But. 
Well, I noticed that Slovenia is not an easy country to fly in and out of. <laughs> I bet, yeah. I was supposed to, two years ago, I was supposed to go to uh, St. Petersburg, Russia. And, mm-hmm. um, and uh, but right, right when I was planning things out, I noticed that the... Uh, uh, our diplomats in the embassy were leaving, and I was like, I don't want to be there without an effective embassy. Yeah, and of course, Brittany Grimer found out the uh, Griner found out the hard way. Yeah. So let's get to our topic. We're going to talk about honoring God in our finances, and something I want yeah. to mention here is that we live in a culture, okay, that having more is better. Okay, uh, I guess our tendency as human beings are, is that, you know, we want more money, we want a bigger house, we want a newer phone, more uh, possessions, you know, all these things more and more and more bigger and better. However, if we're tr- a lot of us seem to be find, finding our happiness, okay, in money, okay, uh-huh. the problem I see and what I come as as a Bible teacher is that, That'll never work. You'll never be happy. It'll never satisfy you if that's how you're looking for. It's uh, There was not a question mark there. There's actually no, that, there's a st- exclamation point. <laughs> yeah, I want you to comment on that. Yeah, you know, I mean, you can, a man cannot serve both God and money. He will either um, love one or hate the other. Um, and so it, we scripturally we know this. So that's cool. Like we've got a basis to know that. But then we go, okay. How do I like practically? Un- how do I practically deal with this? Um, what's awesome that we often forget is that apart from Him, we can do nothing. And so, if we try to battle this idea of consumerism on our own, independent of Christ, we our flesh is strong; we'll fall short. Mm-hmm. We will make mistakes, and we'll end up, you know, buying more stuff that we don't need. We'll buy stuff we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. And so, the um, the only way to overcome this really a powerful force called money um, is in Christ. And I think you know that already. So let's, but let's, let's talk about this anecdotally for just a second, or actually more practically. We've got to be aware that, um, that uh, Christians are playing checkers in the, I'll say it this way, Christians are playing chess, the world is playing checkers. So what Christians ultimately in our hearts know that at the end of the day, those that, uh, our goal isn't to have the most stuff, most toys, but the rest of the world, they don't think that way. They have become in love with money. So, so there's, there's actually in our conscience, you know, God has written our, his law in our hearts. We are actually, if we're in Christ, we're playing a completely different game, but the world is playing a different game and they're playing against us. As an example, they will put, um, they will put fragrances of uh, cookies in a department store so you'll buy more furniture. They do one-click pays on your phone because they know that you will not have that moment of hesitation to think about your purchases. So for me, in Christ, I'm going to be in Christ to overcome this um, uh, this challenge of money that God talks about 2,000 times. I'm going to do it in Christ, but I'm going to have a constant awareness that the world's playing a different game against me. And we've got to be on point to know that that they're, that they're, they're trying, you know, they, I say they, like they're a nebulous group of people, but a group of people that aren't in Christ that are really trying to trying to force this agenda. And, and you see it in the retirement commercials. You get this picture of what retirement looks like. That's really not rooted in the in the word of God. It's, it's like, hey, you won the game of life and now you deserve to be you. I don't know how that's biblical. I, I know there's a degree of enjoying that comfort and stuff, but if you still have breath in your lungs, then God still has a purpose for your life. So, we're playing checkers, or we're playing chess, they're playing checkers, 
in Christ, we can overcome this. And it's interesting. So as a, as a person called of God, as, as I am called to be a minister, a Bible teacher, um, I believe that's for life. I mean, yeah, it, makes sense. It, yeah. until, until I can't speak anymore, breathe anymore. I, I, it's, it is what it is. Cause I believe the call of God is, is there forever. I know, I know there's a lot of denominations or ministers that, oh, I'm 65 time to retire and quit. And they, they go and they move into a different house. They fix their garage full of little ticky tacky things and they, yeah. they putter in their garage till they die. You know, and I don't think that's reality in God's perspective. Yeah, I However, yeah. I do know, because I'm related to, to or connected to people that are in the ministry. So my pastor and mentor, I mean, he's 80, might be a little more than 80, but he's at least 80. But the problem he's having is, is that he's retired now from the church work as as on staff, but he's kept more busy than he was when he was yeah. working on staff. He's he's preaching at churches. He's done interim teaching. He has a Bible study. He does a lot of things. He's come here to San Antonio. They're on my program. So he, he keeps busy. However, what has happened is that he's, he's gotten diabetes, and it's harder for him to walk. He's got yeah. neuropathy. And so it makes it more difficult. He can't stand to preach, so he's got to sit to preach, yeah. and it gets more difficult. Mm. However, one of the things I said to him the other day, because he, he wants to stop probably preaching so much, I said, what about your Bible study? You know, he says, well, I'm still doing it. I said, you should continue to do that because, you know, it's important. Yeah. You, you do get across very well. And there's a lot of guys that get older and they just, they might preach or teach the same old stuff they did 20, 34 years ago and doesn't really grow much. And it's almost like you need to stop. Yeah. <laughs> somebody needs to tell you, maybe your wife or somebody needs to tell you. Yeah. It's, it's you need to stop yeah. because you're not studying to grow yeah. in yeah. your speaking and teaching. Yeah. You know, for me, I think it's important that I continue to study constantly so that it's all new stuff. I don't want to be a pastor or a preacher or a teacher that what I teach today and all the things I teach for the next two years, I start all over again for the next two years. And, and I know pastors who do that. Yeah. And, and that's to me, it's that'll come to an end. Yeah. When a pastor starts, you know, their humor is rooted in turning the knob on their television. That's kind of like maybe an old joke. Probably need to move on to some of the, you know, you start picking up, Hey, that's, you know, nobody even knows what that is anymore. But, but I, I think that, you know, we can be a good steward of uh, everything God gives us if we have a good relationship with money, if we have a good relationship uh, with everything around us. I think it's so important um, that we realize that. And I think it, it yeah. things are different when it comes to finances and money at different areas of our life. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, even me, I, I constantly, I'm uh, Lord, I check my heart, make sure I'm, you know, I'm, I'm honoring you and everything I do because, um, you know, it's easy for me. I, you know, I grew up without money, and we lived in a little trailer park on, uh, on Highway 90 in Castroville, Texas. Um, it was there was a lot of challenging times. I, you know, yeah. there was it was really there was tears involved in that. And so, you get to a place where I'm having I have money because I've God's blessed me and we've created a business. And I, I this is a new chapter to your point. And so now I have to take inventory. God, I don't want to fall victim to the love of money. And so I, I just don't think I can do it independent of Christ. So I'm constantly yeah. in, in the word I'm abiding in him. And the idea of that abiding is, is that uh, I will continue to maintain that humility. Well, 
Um, I have a slew of scriptures, and we yeah. probably won't get to all of them, but I will have all of them on my YouTube under you know the description. So uh, after the program or when I, this is uploaded, you may want to look at all the scriptures. Um, but I want to read three of them for now. and Let's do it. Come So the first one's in Deuteronomy. Okay. okay. I'm a big Old, Old Testament person. Love it. Um, but Deuteronomy 8.18 is really significant. It's, it says this, But remember... The Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So And so confirms his covenant, so uh, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. And I think we forget, you know, that it's God that gives us the ability to make and have what we do. Um, and, and why I'm saying this is because I've read a lot in the last year, two years, and maybe even over the last 10 years or so. Well, you know, tithing is all old covenant. And however, if we are we forgetting that God is the one who really has given us the ability to get it in the first place? I was you know? I was talking to a guy the other day and you know, very, very successful guy, by the way, and a Christian. And he calls me up and says, man, Daryl, I'm so proud of you and how far you come. And I, and I was in the I was in the word like I was in the right frame of mind with, with my Savior. And I said, man, I am so grateful to God. He is, and I'm closing my eyes, man. He's just blessed me so much. He goes, yeah, but you worked hard. I'm like, yeah, but really, God, no, no, man, you worked hard at this. Like, he's trying to reinforce that it was my hard work. I was like, I know you're trying to give me some kudos, but, man, I'm just telling you, God did it all. Yeah. <laughs> and I know, I know there's a degree of hard work and making right decisions. But I sit here today and say, man... There is so many mistakes I could have made and gone this way or that way, and I'm just so grateful. I, and your point is there is really important because as a Bible teacher, okay, I never went to college to be a teacher at all. I went to college because back in the 70s, you only went to college to be a pastor. Yeah. Yeah. There, there was no such thing as, you know, going to study for a youth pastor. You became a youth pastor for two years. After you got your feet wet a bit, then you looked for a senior pastor position, and that was it. Yeah. Now people go to study to become associate pastors and assistant wow. pastors. And I don't know so. anything about that system, but Hold I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah, I so, imagine. I, so for me, you know, as, as uh, I started to teach, and it was really a fluke. It, it, somebody called me when I resigned from it associate pastor position, a school called me, and and I had no idea who they were or how they even got my name, even to this day. Uh, we know you're looking for a job. Uh, we have a Bible teaching position open. No, thank you. I'm not a teacher. I'm not a Bible teacher. I'm not a teacher. But you have Bible studies. That's totally different. And he had me come to his office, and he finally talked me into taking the class. It was so easy. Mm-hmm. It was so easy. And I realized years later that the Holy Spirit gave me a gift As of a teaching. Gift, yeah. So to me, it's like all of my honor, all of what I'm telling people when I teach, when they say, oh, you do so good. It's really of the Holy Spirit. It is absolutely not for me because I know nothing about teaching. I'm with you, you know, <laughs> I, and I appreciate that. You know, it, I, I really, when I say it, I believe it. Um, and so, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes you wonder if there's sincerity in it. And I know that you're sincere when you say that, but it doesn't matter. Um, and I, I, I just I think that the, that scripture in particular is good. That it's just a good reminder because yeah. there we can drift. And I have, by the way, I've drifted where I've reached on the other side of my back and patted myself. Um, but, man, God's there's a lot of scriptures. Uh, Uzziah is one of them that talks about those people who forgot who gave them the ability to produce wealth. 
And it's really funny because, you know, so my wife and I, we have this business and it has its slow times and busy times. And yeah. we've had years like 2020, 20, uh, 2008 or nine. It's really bad. But, you know, God has always let us eat. <laughs> yeah. He's always let us have a place to live and a, you know, roof over our head. He's, He's blessed us, and she gets worried and worried. I said, but think about it. It's God that's yeah. going to take care of us. And, and I keep having a reminder, you know, have you had to, we've had to get out, leave our home? No. Have we had to go without meals? Well, no. Then, then trust in him and that. And I think that's really important no matter so, what. And, so and I think important. that's a big thing. So, so the other couple of scriptures, one's in Ecclesiastes. Now, I, I know Ecclesiastes it, by Solomon is his kind of biography or autobiography. It's not always the best, but I like this scripture. It's, it, it's in 510. It says, whoever loves money never has enough. Yeah. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, this is so true. We never, it's like the TV. I'm a TV weirdo, okay? So I've got a you know, 35, 32-inch TV screen. And says, well, that's not big enough. Let me get a 50-inch. Well, 50 inches isn't big enough. Let me get a 55. Let me get a 60. Now I have a 75-inch TV in my bedroom. So, you know, it's got to be bigger. It's got to be bigger. Now I'm looking at these AMIC 85s. I, I really, I can't say to Susan, I want an 85. There's no way. She's going to say, we already have. <laughs> Man, but, <laughs> if you just came up with a scripture that could substantiate that, maybe you could pull off. I'm just kidding. No, I, I, uh, I would suggest to you that's a big one. So they even I, I don't remember who it was, but they asked a wealthy person. I want to say Rockefeller, but I'm pro- probably butchering it. They said, "How much land do you want?" He said, "Whatever touches mine." Um, and so I, I'm, I'm in the same boat. Like I like to collect sports memorabilia. That's been my thing. You know, when I was a kid, I couldn't afford some of the sports memorabilia, and I always saw it. And I thought, "Man, that's." That jersey or that little helmet or that card. I always wanted it. And then I get older and I can afford it. But do you know that once you get one, you're like, man, now I want that one. Now I want that one. I want the Joe Montana. And so, yeah, it, it, it's that. We're, Solomon's telling us that your flesh, your flesh is going to go this way. Yeah. It will go this way. He's giving you a heads up. But in Christ, you can overcome. And so Solomon's just giving a heads up of our flesh. You need to come over to our house someday. I, I need to show you. My, my father passed away, and he collected. And I must have five boxes of maybe 10,000 or more cards. Oh, my gosh. You know, football, baseball, I'd be there basketball. all day looking at them. It, it's, it's like, I don't even know what these are worth. And oh. he has some that are in plastic and, yeah, you know, some so real much. harp. He's got hats. He's got, you know, game uh, things that are um, championship stuff. It's, it's amazing. So I haven't, when I try to go through it, it's, it's so much, I don't have a room for it. <laughs> yeah. That would be my playground, yeah. So I don't play golf, so that's my thing. Yeah. yeah. So First Peter has a scripture, okay, 5-2, it says, Be shepherds of God, God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, oh, okay. but eager to serve. You know, I actually... The other ones I'd, I'd, I'd been in a while back, but I hadn't come on that. I hadn't drifted into that scripture in a while. So say that one more time. That one's good. Okay. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, yeah. serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, Ooh. as God wants us wants you to be, not greedy for money, mm. but eager to serve. Oh, so good. 
Yeah, you know, obviously, you know, what's cool about Jesus um, is that, and it's it's good and not good. Um, he says, um, whoever looks at a woman with lust has committed adultery in, in his heart. And so Jesus oftentimes, as you know, um, doesn't necessarily go to the law and create these rules of how to behave. He's just, Jesus says, I'm a, it's your heart that really matters. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I, you know, I feel as a business owner that um, it's really, I'm in, I'm in the right lane of serving. But sometimes it's hard not to say, well, man, I'm going to make this income or do that. And, and that's again, and I know I sound like a broken record, but I really, I feel like our flesh will tend to drift that way, even while we're serving. I was talking to a pastor once, very famous pastor, by the way. And I said, how do you always stay with like an, a hundred percent pure heart every time you're growing a church or, I mean, you, I can't, I'm sure you can't help think about like, okay, I'm going to make a little extra money to do this, whether it's personal pleasures or whatever. And he said, man, it's really, it's obviously a challenge. We've got this battle that goes on. He says, I just, most of the time, he's like, I can't ever tell you I'm hundred percent pure all the time. He goes, but most of the time I'm pure. And he goes, there are times where it vacillates. And so I, that was actually peace for me because getting a place of a hundred percent, like all the time, um, that, you know, my motives are always pure, I, you know, striving for that. I, I like that Enneagram, the Enneagram. I, I like to use that. I'm an Enneagram one, which means I'm always striving for things to be right and wrong. But I was always striving to be 100% pure. And this pastor conversation helped me breathe a little bit and say, you know what? Sometimes my flesh creeps in, but the idea of abiding, even if it might creep in, staying focused on serving in Christ, um, and then and then ultimately the rewards will work themselves out. So it's really interesting. I feel so in, in the believer's journey, ministry is a Bible teaching ministry. Um, so what I do is is I do this program, okay? We have Bible teaching topics and yeah. discussion, but I also teach, you know, whether I do a, a seminar. My seminar might be on uh, couples' relationships. It might be on the Holy Spirit. It might be on salvation. It might be whatever it is. I do seminars and teachings uh, in other areas, whether it be a group of uh, couples at a dinner, whether it be at a church, organization, uh, Christian organization or a Bible study. I teach a class on Sundays as well. So basically, um, I see that as part of the calling of God and God sustains that ministry. Yeah, I do not. I am not somebody who could ever make it in life if I had to go out and solicit people to, hey, help, help give to my ministry so I can survive and and the ministry can go and I can live. I I couldn't do that. I've tried and I fall flat on my face. I don't know how to do it. I just, it just doesn't work with me. So in the believer's journey, obviously in order for this ministry to work, it's got to work with some kind of finances. Yeah, I heard the sponsors before the show. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, and um, basically, uh, it's not that I go out a lot. I just happen to know these people and they happen to want to help me. And, yeah. and I've had other people who have just said here, you know, and awesome. not because I've asked them. Yeah. And, and so what I do in return, like when I go to Moldova, I pay my own way. I, there's absolutely nothing that I do to charge anything. However, I've had people in Moldova, missionaries, who have called companies here in the United States. Hey, can you come out to do the very things I'm doing? I do a seminar yeah. oh, or whatever. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. And they'll say, well, you know, we need five, five first-class tickets. We need three rooms in a five-star hotel. We need for cars to drive in. We need a salary in total of fifty thousand dollars. Oh my gosh! Yeah, for people that can't afford anything at all, yeah. and and it's like wow. 
it's amazing because I don't see it as a money-making thing. I see it as this is something that I need to serve and I need to honor Jesus with this. And if I'm trying to get rich on it, I'm not honoring Jesus. It's such a good point, you know, and then, and then we, we, you know, obviously we could really go deep here and probably be on the scope, but then we ask the point, you know, the, if, you know, talk about Rabbi Lapin, he wrote the book, Thou Shalt Prosper. And he said that the unique attribute of the Jewish community is not that they have this secret society, but rather that they believe that m- money is inherently good. And so then we ask ourselves, at what point are we, um, are we not being, good stewards of money and, and making good business decisions. So it's always this tension that exists. Uh, but I, but definitely you're, you're, you're making a good point there with serving. Yeah. And, and, and not only that, you know, there's a lot of discussion, arguments, debate in the Christian world yeah. about tithing. Well, it's you know, it's, show. it's yeah. not a New Testament. It's yeah. not a New Testament teaching, but it is. I mean, I'll go to a scripture right here in Matthew 23, 23 through 24. And Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and and, you know, spices. Yet you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. You these you ought to. To have done, okay. In other words, you ought to be paying tithe, but you also ought to be giving as well. And then he says, "But you also leave out the other other things that are undone. Uh, you blind guides who strain out a net and swallow a camel." It's so good, you know. Um, so definitely, the theology you're dead on. You know, Jesus tithe. He couldn't have gone on the temple courts if he didn't tithe. Right. So we know that. But um, even if you take a step back and look. Like just practically speaking, the Notre Dame does some studies in this space. Science of Generosity says that people who give 10% or more actually have less anxiety. Mm-hmm. So even if you say scripturally it doesn't make sense, just by giving alone, I mean, we have an anxious society. Just by giving alone, it reduces our anxiety. So practically speaking, it makes sense. So I could certainly speak on that, and I know it's beyond the scope of our time, but uh, I think giving is certainly understated even in the body of Christ. Well, yeah, and, and I think that it's important that we understand that giving, if we go back to that first scripture in Deuteronomy, yeah. if we understand that God has given us the capability to bring these things in, he's asking for a tenth back. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. You say yeah. it's all his, right? And then you're, it's a it's a really great point. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny when, when uh, I don't know if my wife is going to like this or not, but I'm going to tell the story and then we probably have to close. In prayer. <laughs> but but when I met Susan, she went to a church where they, um, uh, and this is going to be unnamed, but they talked about, you know, you give, let's say you give $100, God will give you $1,000 back. Yeah, and yeah. they taught this. And so she did, and she was a single mom, not having much. Yeah. She did this and did this, and nothing came back, nothing came back. She says, what a farce. I'm not going to do this anymore. So when we met, she really didn't tithe. So we talked about tithing, and so she would. But one year, we were not making, money wasn't coming in. We would get checks every day for eight days, nothing. So in our discussion, I'm saying I'm having to borrow this to pay that, and I'm getting concerned. And I just out of the blue, I said, so are are you tithing? What are we tithing? She says, oh, we can't afford it or not. We can't afford not to. And so she told me her story, and I told her the principles of the scripture. So she gave somewhat at the next Sunday at, at church. And so we actually got a little check-in. Oh, so how much did you tithe? Oh, only this much. No, you got to tithe for the entire amount that we made for that. And when she did, 
all of a sudden, all this money came in, and she said, I will never not tithe again. Wow, that's, that's amazing. And God has yeah. continued to bless us as we have continued to do that. Yeah, and that's when we talk about two different ways of life, checkers and chess, two different worlds out there. That's, that's one of the examples. That's a great example. Yeah. But, you know, there, there is so much about money in the scriptures. Um, Paul talks about giving with a, with a glad heart. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. You know, we, yeah. you'd mentioned something about Jesus earlier. And the thing about the law is, you know, we have a perspective of the law that we're taught in Christianity that is so wrong. We think it's all about do's and don'ts and rights and wrongs. Mm. And really what the law is was about how to live and honoring God and honoring one another mm. and building relationships with all of this and gr- building in a, a society a moral attitude, a, a spiritual attitude and, and a giving and a loving attitude. This is what the law was supposed to be about. And we've come all the way around to teach it wrong. They did, They were doing that during Jesus' day, yeah. you know, teaching it wrong. But Jesus came and he taught these principles, but he did it in a way that showed the spirit of the law yeah. rather than this legalistic jumbo, mumbo jumbo that shouldn't have been. And it's amazing what Jesus did. And I'm just just flabbergasted of how brilliant he, he was when he taught. Um, but yeah. we could go on for forever, ever. We're, we're kind of out of time. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, certainly. There's so much, yeah. so many exit ramps here. There, there really is because there's more and more about money and there's different themes about money yeah. in the scriptures. And I think it's important that uh, that we grab a hold of that. And I really liked in the beginning when I started to talk about in that we have to have a good relationship with money. We have to understand that. And we have to have a good relationship with Jesus yeah. in that stewardship of our life to have it centered in the right perspective. So good. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate everybody who's uh, watching us. Make sure that you uh, hit subscribe and you uh, uh, send us to some of your friends. And, and um, you all have a good day, a wonderful week. Aloha. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.